Welcome to another inspirational message from Dave Koop, Senior Pastor of Coastal Church in Vancouver, Canada. This uh, morning, we're going to continue on our series, Freedom from Traps. And if you're new to this and you're just jumping on board, welcome. Our key verse for this series has been Psalm 124, 7 and 8. And in Psalm 124, David writes here, he says, Our soul has escaped. And he's talking about the soul, which is your mind, your will, and emotions. And where our enemy traps us is in that soulish realm. Our soul has escaped like a bird. A bird, again, is a, a picture of freedom. And our Lord came to set us free. Jesus said, here the sun sets free is free indeed. And when we're free, we can accomplish what God's put in our heart to do. But if we're bound to something, we can spend years or sometimes decades of our life, and we've never really done what we've desired to do, what God put in our heart to do. So our soul has escaped like a bird out of the snare of the fowler. Satan is a trapper, and his ultimate goal is to trap us, to cage us up so that we can't enjoy the life that God has for us. We know that God came to give us eternal life, and we'll get to heaven, we'll have eternity with Him, which will be in a great life. We, we look forward to that. But he, he wants to have an amazing life now. That doesn't mean we won't have challenges. That doesn't mean there won't be difficulties. James said, consider all joy when you encounter various trials. So we're going to have challenges in life. But God said, I have come to give you an abundant life. Despite all that goes on in a crazy world, you can have peace, you can have victory, you can overcome and be of good courage. I'm with you. You can enjoy an amazing life through me. Our enemy, his ultimate goal is to keep us from that life, to somehow cage us up so we can enjoy it. He's not really fussy what it is. His goal is just to keep us from having that life. We talked about uh, the trap of change or trends, and we used some examples in that message of uh, gambling we had or pornography. We talked about procrastination. That could keep us. That could trap us. We talked about glamour and treasure last week, and if you've missed any of those, you can go online and watch them and get caught up on it. So there's different ways that he'll trap us, but ultimately, the, the enemy's goal is simply to keep you caged in from enjoying the life that God has for you. And he's not really fussy about that. He just really does not want you to have this intimate relationship with the Lord. Today's trap is a little bit different. It's a trap of tradition. And we think tradition, can tradition trap us? Yeah, tradition has actually trapped a lot of people from enjoying what God has for them. And this is an area that oftentimes the church has to work on because it can sneak in and we don't even realize that it's there and all of a sudden we feel like we're alienated from God. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. In November, Sharon and I have the privilege of going to London. We've never been to London, but we get to go to London in November. I think almost every day I've told Sharon, I said, I can't wait to go to London with you. We have a real excitement about going to London. And I, how many here have ever been to London? Who, who's been to London? See, you got you. We are certainly the minority, Cheryl, because we have not been to London. We have a, you guys are such an international crowd. You're, you've traveled. We have people from all over the world here, of course, and a lot of you have been to London. We've never been to London, so we get to go to London. We get to visit with uh, Nikki and Pip out there who helped run the Alpha course and learn some more about the Alpha course, how to do it better here and worldwide. So we're looking forward to that, but we also have some time to spend in London. And uh, so we've been asking people, what should we do? Where should we? 
should we go in London? And some people said, oh, go here and see this, do that. Some people suggested that we should jump on the train and go to Paris for the day. And, and so we're just, we're, I mean, we're writing down all our options and we're never going to get it all done in three days, but we're going to be busy just so you know. Uh, we're going to see as much of London as we can. And uh, somebody said we should go see the Tower of London. Everybody has to see the Tower of London. And so that's uh, on the agenda to do. And as I was looking it up and reading about it, I found out that at the Tower of London, every afternoon, exactly 4 p.m., there's an interesting ceremony. You guys from London probably know this, but the Beef Eaters, British royalty ceremonial guards, come out of the tower and they feed the raven on the front lawn. There's a legend that as long as the ravens are fed, London would never fall to her enemies. And during World War II and the Battle of Britain, when London was being bombed by the Nazis, the ravens were frightened away. So Prime Minister Winston Churchill ordered the beef eaters to secretly clip the wings of the remaining ravens so they couldn't fly. Why? To provide a sense of stability and normalcy to Londoners in a troubled time. And so they had this tradition that the, you feed the ravens at four o'clock and it was like, oh, the ravens are there, everything's okay. It's a tradition. It's handed down and it's, it's innocent and all the rest of it. But how many know that you really won't, wouldn't want to put your trust into some ravens in a time of trouble? Uh, you really want to put your trust in God rather than in that tradition. And uh, as silly as it sounds, traditions can come in and we can start to focus on those outwardly traditions instead of God at work in the heart of our lives. So that's what we're going to focus on today. Where do traditions come from? How do they get it there? That's a good question. Sometimes we just don't know where the traditions came from, but that's just the way we've always done it. Maybe you have traditions in your family and you ask your grandpa, why do we do that? And grandpa says, we just have always done it that way. Don't ask questions. And so you just, okay, that's the way we do it. Do you remember the story, Fiddler on the Roof, tradition, tradition, why do we do those things? Let's watch this little clip, and then we'll get into the message. That I can tell you in one word. Tradition! 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 traditions. We've kept our balance for many, many years. Here in Anatevka, we have traditions for everything. How to sleep, how to eat, how to work, how to wear clothes. For instance, we always keep our heads covered and always wear a little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, Every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. 
There you go. Because of our tradition, everybody knows who he is and what God expects him to do. And traditions, you know, in any denomination or religion or group of people really help define who we are. And that's how we know who we are, by our traditions. And, and our traditions can even be what God expects us to do. Traditions aren't bad. For the most part, they can be good. Sometimes they can be bad, and they can work against us. We'll talk about that this morning. Traditions, if they ever take the place of God's Word, and that starts to define us instead of God's Word, then our Lord has a problem with that. Traditions can come in pretty easily, and we sometimes don't even realize why we do what we do. There was an anthropologist who went to South America, and he was studying the bugs there. And he was looking for caterpillars, not any kind of caterpillars. He was looking for a special caterpillar called a processionary caterpillar. And processionary caterpillars uh, are this little furry train that makes its way through the forest. And he would find them, and they would be one right after the other, this little caterpillar. And the caterpillars would follow the caterpillar right in front of them. And they would march through the forest, over the logs, through the leaves, and this little procession of caterpillars, this furry train making its way through all the different forests. And then they would stop. They'd go eat, they'd come back together, and they'd get in this little furry train, processionary caterpillars. And so he says, I have an idea. I'm studying these caterpillars. What would happen if I took all those little caterpillars in a train, and I'm going to put them on a pot, and I'm going to see how long will they follow each other around the pot? So he places them all very carefully on the pot, and they start marching around the pot. One hour they march, two hours they march, three hours they march, still following the person from not knowing why they're doing it, but that's just the way we've always done it. That's policy, standard procedure. You follow the caterpillar in front of you. And so they continued to march and continue. A whole day passed. They got a little tired, but they continued to march. Two days passed, but they continued to march. Processionary caterpillars, we've always done it. That Who am I to question? That's the way we've done it. For three days, they marched around the rim of that pot. And after three days, they fell over dead in the pot processionary caterpillars. What trapped them? Trap of tradition. Never woke up and said, why are we doing that? Oh, we've always done it that way. But sometimes tradition can trap you and keep you from enjoying the life of God. That's where we want to go this morning. If you have your Bibles, go to Mark chapter 7. If you have your iPhone and it's on your iPhone, get your iPhone out. If you have your BlackBerry, it's on your BlackBerry, get your BlackBerry out. Uh, try not to Twitter or tweet or Facebook, just stick to the message. Uh, but anyhow, Mark, Mark chapter 7 is where we are. I didn't have notes for you this morning because I got distracted last night with the birth of Jacob. And so anyhow, we're, uh, we're in Mark chapter 7. It's good for us just to read it out of the scriptures uh, from time to time. Anyhow, so we're in Mark chapter 7. Would you say with me this morning, thank you, Lord, for Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, talking about traditions. Tradition is something that magnifies the outward ritual rather than the inner reality. If you want to write down a definition, there you go. Magnifies the outward ritual rather than the inner reality. So here we are. Verse 1, then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread 
with defiled, that is, unwashed hand, they found fault. Tradition often ends up in legalism, religiosity, and their goal is typically to come and find fault. And uh, not everybody in the crowd is always there to worship God and has their heart right into it. You can often find those with that legalistic attitude in the crowd. And uh, they come typically to find fault and uh, what's wrong with something. And uh, if you're looking to find fault with something, very difficult to worship God at the same time with your heart. And uh, you could come to Coastal Church here today and you could find fault. And, uh, but if you're looking to find fault, you will find it. By the way, if you're looking for it, I can give you a shortcut. I can, I can give you the faults pretty quickly. It's easy to find faults in something. But it's better to say, Lord, I've come to worship. These guys just came to write a report card report and to find fault. And there they are with that legalistic attitude. It says in verse 3, for the Pharisees and, uh, and the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. Now, they were finding fault because Jesus' disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate. This isn't about the fact that you should wash your hands before you eat. That's common sense, and they were encouraged to do so. This is about the special way you washed your hands. And the special way was something like this. You had to take your hands, and you had a somebody with a pitcher, pour water over your hands. Your fingers had to be pointed upwards. And so somebody would pour water over your hands and the water had to run down your fingers and then off your wrists to the ground. And so that was step one. And then step two is you point your fingers downward and they poured water over your hands and then water would run off the bottom of your fingers. And then the third step was you would take your fist and you would rub it into your hands and now your hands were ceremonial clean. So it wasn't so much about getting the germs and bacteria off. It was about the way you washed it. These guys were watching Jesus' disciples, and they said, hey, they're eating, and they didn't go through the ceremonial cleaning. And so they had a problem with it. It was a tradition. That's the way we do it. Our Lord's problem was that they took that tradition, and they put it above God's word. So we read on in the story, chapter 7, Mark chapter 7, and verse number 4. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and coaches. I'm not sure how they washed their coaches, but apparently they washed their coaches in a certain way. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked, Jesus asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Hmm. So now our Lord's going to give an answer to this. Paul says, before we go into his answer, Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men. Another translation says, Be sure that nobody captures you through the traditions of men, rather than to the basic principles, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Anytime we take the traditions of man and put them above the principles of Christ, it separates us from the life of God. What does a trap do? It traps your life. Tradition can trap the life of God in you. Does this come into the church today? You bet it does. Does it trap people? You bet it does. 
I grew up in a church that we had a certain type of baptism. In our particular denomination, they baptized in different ways. The way we baptized actually divided the denomination into a number of different splinter groups. It was all based on the way we baptized. One particular group would have the person kneel down, and somebody would pour water over them, and that symbolized the old life was buried in Christ. The minister would take that person, raise them up, and say, now this person is new in Christ. It represented that old person was passed away. Now something new had been risen, resurrected with Christ. It was a picture of what God had done in their heart. It was a picture of baptism. Another one baptized the way we do, where we submerse the entire person under water and raise them up. Old passed away, new raised up with Christ. Both of them had the same picture of an inner working. But what happened was the focus became just on what was going on, on the outside. Growing up in our church, I knew more about why we baptized that certain mode than I knew what was happening on the inside. And so that became our, it literally was a rift between us as other believers within the same denomination. Because it was our tradition. And I knew this was our tradition. And we held on to the tradition. It was more important than what was going on, the inner reality of what Christ was doing on the inside. A friend of mine, and he was, uh, we went to school together. Harold is a great guy, a lot of fun. And uh, he recommitted his life in school to Christ. And uh, went home for the summer, so excited to go home, go back to his church. His church had been praying for a long time for Harold. Harold goes back to church and he says, guess what happened while I was gone? I recommitted my life to Christ. That's it. New life. I'm starting all over. Uh, I'm a new person. Like the Bible says, if someone's in Christ, old things pass away, everything became new. My life has so changed. I'm so excited to be home. Thanks, church, for praying for me. I want to be baptized. And they said, God, Harold, we're excited you want to be baptized. Now you have to take the membership course. And uh, then you can be baptized. And this. And then you can be baptized. He says, I'm going back to school. I just want to be baptized. They said, no, 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 no. It's our tradition that you must take the membership course, and then you can be baptized. So Harold got looking in the Bible, says those who believe and baptize shall be saved. He read Acts chapter 8 where Philip baptized the Ethiopian. Ethiopian had just said, hey, there's water. I believe in Jesus. Can I be baptized? And Philip said, hey, there's water. Yes, you can be baptized. He said, I read this, but your tradition says that I can't, that I have to take this, this, and this, and then you will baptize me. And they said, yes, that is our tradition. Harold says, Forget it. And it was a real negative experience in his church life because tradition trumped God's word. Now, there's nothing wrong with having membership and baptism connected. But for him, it was like, why? I, I'm, I'm going back. Just, why can't I just express my faith outwardly? So it was uh, it, 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 for a while for him. It really caused him to struggle with his faith. He got through it, and he was doing good. Chapter 7, verse 6. What does Jesus say to them when they have this tradition? He answers and says to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Ooh, strong word, right? He calls them hypocrites. These are religious leaders, okay? These guys walk religious, look religious, act religious, and Jesus calls them hypocrites. Pretty gutsy move for Jesus. What was he doing here? He's, he's not saying this to be mean or rude or just to be in their face. 
Jesus is thinking about us. He's thinking about us today. He knows that in our world today, one of the biggest stumbling blocks for people coming to church is Christian hypocrisy. When does Christian hypocrisy usually surface? When we put our traditions, our way of doing things above God's word. It's our tradition. He says, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you guys? This people honors me with their lips. They say all this stuff that this is who they are and they're followers of me, but their heart's far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They've elevated the, what man says, put it on equal footing with what God says. When that happens, the life and the power of God cannot flow into our lives. And he gives them an example. In just a minute here, he said, For laying aside the commandment of God, verse 8, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers, cups, and many other things you do, and you lay aside the commandment of God, the power of God. Make no mistake, God's word is powerful. He said, My word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword. His word gives what? Life to those who find it, health to all their whole flesh. And our enemy does not mind holding us in tradition to keep back the life of God flowing into us. A number of years ago, some of you remember the, the hippie movement and the Jesus people and flower power, peace brother. Um, it's groovy. It's mod. Uh, Woodstock and ring any bells, okay, hippie movement. And during that time, there was a movement amongst these young people. God did something so radical. It was called, they were called Jesus freaks. They were called all kinds of names. But these young people, they got so turned on to the Lord. And they would go into a church, and they said, man, we're here to, we're here to worship God with you guys. And they go, um, we don't do jeans. Uh, you, you got sandals on. Uh, suit and tie, please. Your hair, your hair is way too long. No, guys, cut your hair. Uh, this is our tradition. Uh, and, uh, and they had all these rules that were imposed on them. And you know what a lot of them said? It kept the life of God coming into them. Some of them just flat out walked away. So, man, if I can't come because of that, since when is it about what kind of clothes I'm wearing? Isn't this about the heart? We had a pastor in our city, and he's recently passed away not too many years ago. And I think he was really one of the heroes of Vancouver. His name's Bob Birch. He's one of the heroes of the faith in our city. And Bob had a church not too far from here, close to the PE. And Bob welcomed all these guys as an Anglican minister. He welcomed all of them, and he, he ministered to them. He was, he was inspirational, so many other pastors, and he was really revolutionary because. He put his traditions aside and said, hey, you guys are welcome to come and worship here. And they came and they had services, sometimes went late, and they, they played with different instruments. It wasn't pipe organ. It was a, it was a, a, you know, a, a drum and a guitar, and, uh, and they just took Woodstock and sanctified it and, uh, and had peace and lovings, but it was a Jesus loving instead. But a lot of people were kept out because it was tradition. You know, we meet in a heritage building, a heritage church, and it's wonderful. We love it. It's a great place to meet. and We're glad we're able to preserve this building. It's got pews and stained glass windows. But how many know the church is not a pew and a stained glass window? The church is not a building. But you could hold it to a tradition. Well, I'm not going to church unless I sit in a pew and see a stained glass window. No, you could, your church could be in a, it could be in a, in a, 
the park. It could be in a hotel ballroom. It could be in a living room. Church is just people coming together. This is a tool. The building's just a tool. But you could hold to your traditions. We have to have this. We have to have that. And what, again, does it do? What is the danger of it? The danger of it is this, that it keeps us from enjoying the real life of Christ because the emphasis becomes on the building, the pew, the formality, the robe, the dress, rather than the life of Christ. Does that make sense? Jesus is addressing this. He's still concerned about it because it keeps people from enjoying the life that he has for them. Back to Mark chapter 7 and verse number 7. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. John chapter 4, Jesus told the woman at the well, those who worship me must worship in spirit and in truth. And the Father is looking for such to worship him. God's much more interested in what's going on in our heart than what's going on on the outside. We have a pipe organ. I'm standing right here on the council. Right underneath the council. I don't want to jump too hard. Behind here, there's like 1,500 pipes, tubular bells. It's an amazing instrument. Christmas Eve, we'll play this. We'll sing carols. It's wonderful. But we don't use the pipe organ on Sunday mornings. We got a rolling piano. We got a Larvae guitar, Vancouver made, maybe. And uh, a Gibson gold guitar. Yeah. Brad brought that in. Ooh, ooh. We got Evans drums, and we got a, a PV milestone bass guitar, and we're doing worship to this. Why do we use that instead of the pipe organ? Because nobody's listening to the pipe organ on the radio. At least I'm not. I don't know what you guys are listening to. Our music's mostly generated with this. You know William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army, got in a lot of trouble because he started doing songs with brass. He took trumpets and trombones, and they said, Oh, you can't do this. Our tradition, you have to use this instrument. He said, Forget your tradition. Nobody's connecting with God because your traditions are the blockage. They're trapped behind the traditions. I'm going to use musical instruments that they can relate to so they can experience God. Now, we could get locked into this. We could, oh man, we have to have the rolling piano. We got to have the Larry guitar. We have to have this. If we don't have this, we won't worship. Why do churches die? Churches typically die, not because God's not at work, it's because we lock into our traditions that we can't change because this has been our tradition. Does Coastal Church have to be aware of that? Absolutely. Otherwise, 50 years from now, we'll just have a few old hairs that say, man, in the 1990s and early 2000s, God did something. I want God to do something in the year 2050 at Coastal Church. And that means we've got to put his word first, not our traditions. Otherwise, we'll be trapped. Our next generation will be trapped. These babies that we dedicated in that dedication service, they may have worship to rap for all I know. And God's going to be okay with that. We had a great rap concert here a few years ago. It was Truth and Ambassador, right? They came and did this rap concert. and We, we had a lot of fun doing the rap concert. The only thing was the floor was moving so much. We, we just, the building cannot take uh, the bouncing of the rap concert. So we, we haven't done any since, but it was 
uh, we'll, we'll do it in another venue. So again, in music or other forms, traditions can keep us. God's more interested in our worship coming from our heart. John Piper is a preacher and an author, and he writes about worship in one of his books, and he compares it to kissing. And he says this, suppose a husband asks his wife if he must kiss her goodnight. So I come up to Cheryl and say, must I kiss you goodnight? I don't ask her that. It's not a problem. But if I did, I must kiss her goodnight. Her answer would be, you must, but not that kind of must. Yes, worship is a must, but not that kind of must. Not that kind that says, I don't want to, but if I must, I will. That will not do in kissing, and it will not do in worshiping. They're closely related. There's no value in a kiss or an act of worship that does not come from the heart. Would you agree? If I kiss my wife simply because I have to, there's no moi in it. And she could tell, and you could tell. I mean, if you've been kissed, it's like, you know, it's, uh, no, there's no moi in it. But when I kiss my wife, I on that moi. Ooh, it's coming from her heart. Wow. I got to stop right now. But <laughs> so there's got to be a moi in the kiss for your wife or your husband. And what about the kiss for God? If there's no moi in our worship, how does God feel? He said, so the worship has to come from the heart. There's got to be this, not out of tradition. Because you can come in here and say, okay, this is a tradition at Coastal. We come in, we're going to sing a couple songs. We're going to be done in 20 minutes. We clap. This is a clappy happy. Okay, raise hands, clap. Okay, sit down. If we do that, we're no different than these guys. But if we come in and say, no, we're going to do this from our heart. Or we say, I'll just skip worship. How's God with that? It's like skipping the kiss. Yeah, you take the kiss out of your life, and there's no moi in your life. There's no affection. We do worship at the beginning, not out of tradition, I hope. We do it because there's this moi. I want to express my affection to God. The first thing we do when we come to service is we express our affection to God. I'm, I'm affectionate about you. So it's not, we don't want it to become a tradition. Where it's just, okay, this is what we do, our tradition. Why do we do that? I don't know why we do it, but that's what we do with Coso. Sing four songs, clap, okay. No, why? It's a moi, affection to God. Oh, I worship you, I love you. So, well, I'm not sure I like that steel guitar or that electric guitar. I don't know about that. You know, back in my day, we worshiped with a banjo or something. (laughs) Well... It's, you're not back in your day. It's 2010. Do an attitude adjustment and say, no matter what, I will worship you. We were in Tennessee, and we went to our school there. We're not too far from Nashville, okay? And worship was done on a steel guitar. You know what a steel guitar is? If you like country and western, you know what it is. They got this little steel thing. They slide back and forth. It looks like a guitar lying, lying down, and... And the guy who led it, I couldn't even understand the words. It was so much twang in that. And at first I thought, I cannot worship here. This is so sad. And I like country music, so. But it was just so different. And then God really dealt with my heart. He said, it's not them, it's you. Your heart 
has got the problem. Because if you were really worshiping me, had a heart for me, you could worship me to a steel guitar, to a pipe organ, to an electric guitar, to a piano, or no musical instruments, you could still worship me. So I said, yes, God, change my heart. You know, some churches have a tradition of no musical instruments. And if you have musical instruments, you're missing it. They put their musical instruments above God. Tradition. We had neighbors. This, you, you will be surprised. This is in Canada. We had neighbors. Their church tradition was you had to spray paint your car bumpers black because any chrome would be offensive to God. True. It was their tradition. And that was a mark of your spirituality. How many know God's far more interested in what's going on the inside than the color of the bumper of your car? It sounds silly. This was silly, the way they washed their hands. And Jesus said, I need to address your traditions because it's nullifying the word of God. Let me read that verse for you. Well, we've got to explain verses 9 to 13 first. Verse 9, it says, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is a gift from God, then you no longer uh, let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. What were they doing? Corban meant that it was dedicated, put aside, pledged to God. So somebody's got a problem with their mom and dad. They got an issue with their mom and dad. This was their legal loophole out. And so they would say, I can't help my mom and dad because I've pledged it to God. And they would get the priest involved with that. And so guess what? They didn't help mom and dad because of a tradition of men. Their tradition was I could pledge it there and then I don't have to do anything else with it. And in doing so, the parents guess what? Did not receive the life. This commandment was meant to give life to aging parents that when they got old or anytime, honor your parents throughout your life. But in this case, when they got older, you still minister, you still honor your parents when they're older. This was a loophole out so they didn't have to honor them. It was a tradition. And he said, you put your tradition above the commandments of God. God's commandment is honor your parents. Why? That there might be life for them and for you. Do you see what happened? It's the first commandment with a promise. But they nullified that promise coming into their life because they put their tradition above God's command. Traditions on their own may not be bad in any way, but when they get elevated to equal status or above God's word, it boxes us in and God's word can no longer bring life into us. This is not a very common message in churches. Because we don't want to talk about traditions. Because we all have our little traditions, our churches. But it's a message that needs to be spoken still today. Because Jesus knows it will keep us from experiencing his life. That's why he says in verse 13, you make the word of God of no effect. You nullify the power of it from working in your life. Hmm. Verse 14, when he called his, all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There's nothing that enters a man from the outside that can defile him, but what are the things that come out of him? Those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, he enters a house. The disciples are there. They said, what did you mean by that? Verse 18. 
Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. He said, what comes out of a man, that defiles him. It's about your heart. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. They were marking people's spirituality by the traditions kept on the outside. Jesus was saying, no, our spirituality, our strength comes from a vibrant relationship with Christ on the inside. Never allow the traditions to take authority over God's word and keep you from enjoying the abundant life of Christ. Amen. What does it do? It brings hypocrisy, it brings worship in vain, and it nullifies God's word. Yeah. And you could be here today, and maybe church tradition has kept you from a relationship. There's people that have been in church all their life, have done all kinds of traditions, and thought, well, that makes me right with God, because I wore this, did this, said this, whatever, but it was tradition. Tradition does not set you free. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, not your traditions. And so today, I want to give an opportunity to receive the truth, not by tradition, but simply because God absolutely loves you, has a plan for your life. Receive his love. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to download free notes from this message or find out more information about Pastor Dave Coop, then we invite you to visit our website at www.coastalchurch.org.